Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Three years after placing a moratorium on executions in California, Governor Gavin Newsom announced the closure of death row at San Quentin on Monday, as well as the women's prison where death row inmates are held in Chowchilla. They'll maintain their current sentences, but won't be held in separate solo cells. More than 500 inmates will merge with the general prison population at other maximum security facilities over the next two years. And here to talk about this landmark in California's kind of long road on the death penalty, we're joined by the San Francisco Chronicle's Kevin Fagan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks thanks for having me. You know, Kevin, I just want our listeners to know your sort of background with this issue, because you go way back, decades, covering death row and, and executions. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but I guess it is. Um, I watched my first execution in uh, 1993, and I covered the first one in 1992. There had been a pause since 1978. Uh, In 1992, they started them again with a guy named Robert Alton Harris in the gas chamber. And I covered that one outside the gates, which was a crazy scene. And in the next one, uh, uh, Dave Mason... Um, that was the last gassing we did as a state. I was in the, the death chamber witnessing mm-hmm. that. And then I witnessed six more after that and covered virtually all the rest uh, from either in the prison or as a rewrite guy. Why was it a crazy scene outside in 1992? I'll tell you, the, the, the emotions were even more pronounced than they are today. Uh, there were crowds that gathered in the street leading up to the main gate of San Quentin. <clears throat> and they clump on on both sides of of the street the the pro guys on one side the anti guys on another people rented houses on the street to to serve as headquarters i mean it was uh, it was nuts and every time the tv lights would go on the crowds would leap to their feet and start screaming at each other and you know waving picket signs at each other it was it was really intense and that went on pretty much all night cuz uh, harris got stays of execution, and then the stays would get overturned, and then you get another stay. This, and they finally executed him around dawn. Um, I wound up sleeping in the dirt uh, at the post office because we didn't think this was going to go on all night. It was supposed to happen at midnight. Um, 
it was the, the emotions were just really raw. Yeah. And they still are for a lot of people. Well, and it seems like that polarization that you describe around this issue has led to our current mess in California. This kind of our death penalty here exists in theory, but doesn't happen in actuality. How do we kind of get to this strange point where we still have all the mechanisms? We have death row. We have they built a new execution chamber at San Quentin fairly recently. And yet we no longer do those executions. How, how did we get to this point? That was interesting. They, yeah, they spent nearly a million dollars on that new execution chamber in 2010. I went into it, lay down on the gurney to see, you know, well, how is this thing going to be? How's this thing going to work when we're watching it? And uh, never used it. The 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 death chamber in um, uh, that they've been using since 1930, what 37, 38, uh, uh, is was used for gas, and they just took the chairs out and put a gurney in instead. It, it was never a really good place to do this. And the, the, the stoppage on, on the execution since 1978 is, is the legal uh, appeals. I mean, it was, it was astounding. Each of these guys I watched die in the chamber and each of the ones I did write-ups on that I didn't watch, um, the, the lawyers had filed endless appeals. It was, it was astounding. There'd be typos on page 55 of a filing and they'd file an appeal and it would take months or years to get through it. And it was, you know, it was a purposeful technique to, to, to delay this. So consequently, uh, most of these executions that have taken place uh, involve people who'd been on the row for 20, 30 years. Uh, it, it became essentially inoperable and the appeals intensified and the legal challenges intensified as the years went by. So in 2006, when uh, uh, Michael Morales, he was a, a, a rapist murderer who um, was a, scheduled to be executed early in the evening instead of midnight for once, um, was just about ready to go. Two hours before, uh, I was loaded up with a few other witnesses to go in and watch. Uh, it got canceled or delayed. And then court rulings came along and said that uh, the, the three three drug protocol that was used to in lethally inject prisoners would probably cause pain. And so uh, it was stayed and then appeals went back and forth and back and forth. We've never done an execution since. There, there was a, a time in 2010, it got close with a guy named Albert Brown. And I was supposed to watch that one too. Uh, and that one never even got close. And what's Governor Newsom's position been? Oh, he's been an anti-death penalty guy for a long time. Uh, he... Uh, in 2019, he declared a moratorium on it. Uh, and, you know, the moratorium could always be overturned if someone new got elected. Um, they still have the protocols in place. Uh, but uh, like a uh, person I quoted in my story yesterday said, uh, we're not really sure they know how to do the protocol still because it's been you know, 15, 16 years. Yeah. Uh, so they'd have to start all over again. And there's probably a new drug regimen they'd use because the drugs are unavailable in the United States. Uh, they just don't make them anymore. So yeah. you got to go hunting around to find them. Uh, and there are different methods being considered. We could go on and on about that. But the fact is, they're not going to be executing anyone anytime soon. Yeah. Can you tell us, having been there and, and coming up to the present moment where sort of death row is being sort of disbanded, I suppose, is the way to think about it. Can you tell us what it looks like at San Quentin? 
That's it. Looks like kind of like it did in 1852 when the thing was built. Big blocky stone, uh, uh, kind of impressive uh, bunch of buildings. And this is in the, the the death row is in the east block, and it's got turrets like a castle. Uh, you know, there there are stone blocks that use it. It's got a, a, a sign that looks like it was made in 1852 that says "condemned" on it. When you walk in, these iron gates, and it's very controlled. I mean, when I went each of the times I went in to witness an execution, they took everything off me, including my belt, uh, thinking that if someone got free and needed a weapon or anything, even even the pens I had, they took those away and gave me a, a wooden pencil. Um, it's super controlled. You are, you are not living a happy life at San Quentin, I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, and then when you, the, the, the routine was always really tense uh, when you're going to go in and watch an execution. They, they put you in a holding center first, uh, just a bit inside the gates, uh, and then wait until, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour before the execution, which was always held at midnight. Um, and then they drive you over about a block away to another holding room where they again check to make sure that you don't have anything on you, no keys, no pen, no belt, no anything. Uh, and they give you a, a few sheets of floppy sheets of paper and a pencil. And that's what you're supposed to be uh, taking notes on. And then they walk you over to this, oh man, it's, it was built in 18, I mean, 1937, 38, actually 38. It's, uh, uh, and it looks like it. It's, it's blocky, chunky, uh, imposing, kind of stone uh, uh, part of the prison. You go through a gate and then they stick you in this room with all the uh, survivors of the victims and the advocates for the condemned man, and uh, usually a couple of cops who worked on the case and some prosecutors and a defense attorney or two. Um, it's usually mostly people there on behalf of the victims, very few people on behalf of the condemned man. Uh, and they walk you in, there were usually, I think, 17 media witnesses, which kind of shrunk depending on uh, the time, because they're, they're actually was flagging interest in covering these things once they started going. And um, they'd stand you on some risers uh, where you had a view of the this glass bubble where the execution was going to take place. Uh, and you couldn't move. You couldn't talk. You couldn't make gestures. You couldn't wave to anyone. If you did any of that, they said they would throw you out. So we all stood there silently uh, watching this thing happen. Um, and then... Uh, at the appointed hour at midnight, a door would open in the uh, what we called the apple green gas chamber because it was painted this strange apple green. Um, and, uh, uh, of course, with the, the gas chamber, there was a chair. They brought Mason in, strapped him in, uh, and then uh, the warden would bend down low to see if there were any last words that they wanted to say. And usually they had one or two things to say. I think, uh, oh God, one of them said something about the dancing with the Grim Reaper. Another one said peace, uh, short and sweet. And then uh, the warden and the rest of the staff all disappeared behind the door, shut it. And for Mason, they dropped cyanide pellets under his chair. And he took about 14 minutes to uh, die. Mm. So we watched while he convulsed and bucked and heaved and drooled and 
it was it was uh, it was a slow death. Uh, and the, the theory was that he had been unconscious since the first few seconds or so, but you couldn't tell. And so you're taking notes uh, and watching what's happening with the other people in the room. Um, and with the injections, it was, uh, they were shorter. It would take usually about five minutes for the person to die. Same routine. Warden came in, uh, took, a, took a few last words if there were any. This, this is after staff walked the guy in and strapped him down on what looks like a just chair with arms and uh, laid flat and then attached catheters to, to his veins. And then uh, he sat and watched and they're really, it was really hard to tell when a person was dead from lethal injection, the face turned a little blue. Uh, but the, the way, the only way you really knew it was done was when uh, one of the prison staff came out and said, you know, the, the prisoner is now dead essentially because they had heart monitors attached. Yeah. And um, some of those were, were pretty emotional because they, the, especially the first injection, which was William Bonin in 1996. Uh, it, that room was filled because he had, well, he had raped and killed dozens of boys in LA uh, and thrown them out on the freeway like trash, which is why he was called the freeway killer. And the room was filled with his, with the survivors of his victims holding pictures of these little kids and these teenage boys um, and just the anguish and, and horror on their faces was, was, was you know, was huge. It was like a fog. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And so what you describe it, you go back and you write the thing up quick and there you go. It was, uh, your job is to watch these things objectively. You know, you don't, you don't faint, you don't, uh, you don't let your own emotions, whatever you're feeling about this process, uh, get in the way of, of keeping good notes because the public has to know how these things are done. And you're the person to tell them. We're talking about closing California's death row with longtime San Francisco Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan. Seen many executions. I, you know, as I'm listening to you, we do want to get to the logistics of what's going to happen to these death row uh, inmates. But I mean, what do you think it's done to you to watch so many of these things and, and have to report them out in the way that you're describing? Uh, it's, uh, it, I tell you, I, maybe I'm, I don't know. I've always been kind of an intensive reporter. I've, I, I watched people burn to death in the 89 earthquake. I've been shot at. I got stabbed in a homeless camp once. It's, uh, you know, I slept outside for projects on homelessness. It, there are, there are worse things than watching a very controlled, almost sterile process like this. Uh, when you see when you see murder in other forms, uh, you know because I've seen a lot of you know people who've been shot up and left in as a mess on the sidewalk or the street. That's that's more affecting, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm some you know emotionless ghoul or something, but. Uh, it's it's there are other things that are harder to watch yeah. and this is a like i said it's a controlled process you got a job to do you do it mm-hmm. so i i cope with all the things i do as a reporter with in a lot of ways you know i run i play guitar I, i'm in a couple of bands i mean you do things to to keep yourself emotionally healthy but mm-hmm. no i i'm not traumatized by having watched these things mm-hmm. so we 
We're talking about closing the actual facility where these people have been held apart from the general population. What's going to happen now? They're going to go to a bunch of different other prisons. Are there any concerns about integrating, you know, the the death row inmates with sort of the rest of the general population of uh, these prisons? Yeah, it's a, you know, the general population, uh, these generally aren't, you know, model citizen guys. They're, they're, They're fairly troubled for any of a whole range of reasons. Uh, and putting these folks into the general population, um, you know, some people were saying, well, gee, they'll teach them how to be more intensive criminals. I'm not so sure about that. I think uh, intensive criminals are intensive criminals. And, and it's a very controlled environment in there. I mean, you don't walk 10 steps without someone watching you. Uh, I wouldn't anticipate any trouble uh, and I think they're going to do this pretty carefully. And if they actually do more rehabilitation, like the governor says he intends to do, that would be a good thing. Because, you know, everyone was someone's baby at some point with promise and, and you know, a, a, an innocent life. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to believe in uh, redemption uh, as a general ideal. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what he's aiming for. Yeah. I mean, we're the only country in the world that still does this, right, among the kind of Western democracies. And yet, even here in California, right, a majority of voters have actually kept the death penalty in place, right? Yeah, we're, you know, I've lived overseas um, quite a lot. And uh, a lot of people who live outside of America think we're barbarians. And to some extent, we are. We're a very violent country. We got more gun deaths than anyone. We've kind of worship violence as a, uh, you know, as a whole with our movies and our culture. Um, it, it, putting people to death is, is, is part of the American uh, what, zeitgeist mm-hmm. to some extent. And that's changing. Uh, the death, death penalty is, is being pulled down in other states and has been muted in a lot of states. So you'd like to think that as a society, we, progress beyond the violent ethos we have. But for now, I think that's, uh, you know, it still seems to uh, fit in a lot of people's minds. They, they think that this is, is a uh, form of closure and justice. And I tell you, I've, I've written a couple of stories over the years. Uh, I wrote one just before I walked, went over and, and covered Timothy McVeigh's execution in Indiana because it was a you know, people think that was going to be a healing moment. Um, people don't get closure from this. The only thing you get resembling closure is you don't have to wait around for the guy to die anymore. Uh, your loved one is still killed. Uh, they're never coming back. This trauma that you experienced is still there. You're going to have to deal with it one way or another. Uh, so in other countries, they they don't put people to death. They you know either lock them up for life or uh, actually rehab people um yeah we that's it's 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 not a really uh it's not a perfect system that's for sure yeah what do you think about the future of death penalty in california just real quick here at the end you think in 10 years we'll have we'll have settled it one way or the other or you think we'll still be in this weird place i think we're going to be in a weird place this culture doesn't change very fast and you know we've got a governor right now who's who's not who's against the death penalty who knows who's going to come after him? Yeah. 
We've been talking about closing California's death row with longtime San Francisco Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. Yeah. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This has been Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.